0: Welcome back to another episode of the Max Term Podcast. Kyle Stitch here alongside James Finch, and we are less than 24 hours from the start of NHL free agency and also about 24 hours removed from the end of the NHL draft. So in this podcast, we're going to be touching on both those subjects, kind of recapping the week's events and also trying to look forward to potentially a busy day on July 1st, we appreciate you listening, subscribing to this podcast that can be found on all major podcast platforms by searching the Max Term Podcast, as well as uh, feel free to follow us on Twitter at Max Term Pod. Our YouTube channel is the same. Also, you can follow us at AFP Analytics, where we have our contract projections that we're going to be referencing multiple times in this episode posted for your viewing. In this episode, you may hear some ads that are associated with the, with the podcast. Those are not necessarily products or companies that James and I endorse. We're going to be talking a little bit about some information. Most of it will be publicly available. We might sneak in a couple uh, little tidbits for you in this episode. We usually don't, but they won't be anything so substantial to uh, burn any sources or anything like that. So do with that as you will. So let's start with the draft recap. Well, I was there. I was at least the first round. I listened to 32 consecutive names get picked without Gary Bettman saying, we have a trade. It was, let me just say, enthralling theater.
1: Yeah, so like you said, you were there to witness all of that fun happening, and I was falling asleep on the couch watching the draft because... There was no chaos, and we we like to see the chaos of trades.
0: Leading into the draft, there were a couple small-ish trades, a couple kind of second, third-line players moved around, saw Colorado ship out their young prospect, Alex Newhook. We talked a little bit about this situation in uh, our kind of central division overview of the offseason that you can find in uh, our previous episodes. That was a little bit surprising, a little bit interesting that they that they kind of moved on. But it also made sense. We kind of talked a little bit about how it's time for him to take a step forward. And if they didn't feel that he was going to necessarily do that, getting the good value for him was, was probably a smart move. And then they turn around and use one of those picks, the second rounder they acquired in the deal, to draft or to acquire, I should say, Ross Colton from the Tampa Bay Lightning.
1: Yeah, so that ended up being, I think, a very good trade for Colorado because it was essentially Newhook for Colton and a late first-round pick. Um, and like you said, we, we talked about this in a previous episode, but Newhook was really needing to take the next step offensively and show that he could be a second-line center. We haven't had a chance to really touch on this too much, but with Colorado acquiring Johansson, it kind of signaled that Newhook would be staying in a 3C role or possibly even be shifted to the wing. And at that point in this stage of his development, it kind of made sense to maybe move him and see what kind of assets you could get to fill out the rest of the depth on the team.
0: Yeah. I think maybe this also might be a signal that maybe Colorado tries to uh, keep Evan Rodriguez as well, because he he would be a better fit for that kind of hybrid third line potential winger role than I think an Alex Newhook would be and then they get Ross Colton to fill out to be a really good middle six player ideally probably a really good third line player who could slot up if necessary onto their second line and provide a little bit different style of play than some of their other guys he's a little bit of a grittier player as well
1: I, I think that situation you just described with maybe them being interested in bring back Rodriguez if you, if you look at it this way on paper they lose New Hook, they add Colton, they keep Rodriguez, and have a late first round draft pick that they used on a defenseman. And that looks pretty good from Colorado's standpoint.
0: Yeah, I think that was good work. they still have a lot of they definitely still have a lot of work to do to fill out their forward kind of lineup a little bit. Ryan Johansson goes a little ways to do so, but Again, without Gabriel Landis Cog there, it's they still need some kind of scoring punch up front.
1: Yeah, and they're also going to be losing J.T. Comfer. Well, they might not be, but it's expected to be a bigger contract, and it might be something they pass on. I think he's a really good second-line center, third-line center type middle six, but uh, that that's not something that can go unnoticed. I, I think the Johansson move was kind of the Comfer replacement, and if they're able to bring someone like Rodriguez back as well, that's just going to fill out the center depth there.
0: I I think I personally like getting Johansson at a $4 million cap hit than getting Comfort for 5 to $6 million. I I don't mind JT Comfort as a player at all, but I, I don't see much the ceiling that uh, that Ryan Johansson necessarily has. I mean, I think he would be a he's a tremendous third line center, but if you're relying on him to drive your second line, I'm not sure that's good enough for a Stanley Cup contender.
1: Yeah, and I, I think I would say with Johansson, he's coming in so at four million, but it's also two years, so there there's low risk there. If it doesn't end up working out too well, it's much more manageable than say Con for like you said five six million but most likely on roughly a five-year contract.
0: Yeah, so Colorado and that Tampa Bay trade were, that was kind of the biggest move leading up to up to the draft. Wasn't a whole lot there.
1: Yeah, The I think a lot more was expected to happen. Lots of rumors were going around about different players, and it, it kind of seemed like maybe the, the lack of cap space is kind of keeping some things from happening. And we saw a few... Well, really, a, a, one main move, I, I think that was really important um, as far as freeing up some cap space was uh, Josh Bailey being sent from the Islanders to the Blackhawks.
0: Yeah, the, the NHL didn't implement my free $1 million to the first team to make a trade in the first round idea. Maybe that would have got a little action because, yeah, cap space seems to be at the absolute premium right now. Josh Bailey went from the Islanders to the Blackhawks in right before the day two kind of started. I was waiting for a ride to the airport at the, at the time the news broke and not surprising at all. We, we touched on this in our Metro division look as we base as we speculated if the Islanders wanted to try to run it back, they were going to need to clear some cap space. Josh Bailey was the name that we said made the most sense. Lo and behold, they shipped Bailey out, and now there's a lot of uh, kind of smoke around Varlamov being back, Mayfield still being worked on to come back, and now it also gives them uh, room for Pierre Ingolf as well.
1: Yeah, I think that that. Uh Salary dump was really what the Islanders needed to accomplish before free agency because, like you said, they do have some key pieces to either retain or replace. And for Chicago, I believe they picked up a second, and I want to say it was twenty twenty six. So right right now, it doesn't really matter a whole lot. But um, they were able to make the decision to buy out Bailey. It's kind of something. Why not get the free asset?
0: So that was a I think that was a relatively smart decision to acquire Bailey by the by the Blackhawks there, but I'm a little questioning their other moves and kind of their overall plan at this point. So Sure, take on Josh Bailey, take on that $5 million cap hit, but then going to buy him out in a year that you are well, well, well below the salary cap floor. I mean, you're giving $4 million contracts to a Corey Perry and a Nick Foligno. I mean, Josh Bailey fits that exact same idea. Like, hey, pay up a lot of money for a veteran player who can provide like some leadership and everything to your lineup for one year and then let them walk. The fact that they chose to voluntarily take away cap space next year why not go out and sign someone to a two-year contract or something and who knows maybe Josh Bailey could have came into their organization played on a line with like a Bedard or something put up some numbers and maybe you could have flipped them at the deadline for another asset they chose to just get get rid of them for free while kind of harming their future cap situation a little bit really odd decision there for me
1: yeah and I think so to speak to the uncertainty of what their plan is here, they have Connor Bedard coming in, who's pretty much expected to be first line center superstar right away. And they helped out Boston with salary cap space, um, taking on Taylor Hall, who is still a pretty good winger. It's good to surround your super young superstar with decent NHLers. Um... But is the plan to try and be more competitive? I don't know, because one other move that they've made, they are not going to qualify Caleb Jones, and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense if they're trying to be a little more competitive or at least respectable as far as uh, their quality of play around a possible superstar like Connor Bedard. Uh, Caleb Jones isn't a star... But he's a fairly solid, maybe second pair, but really, really good third pair defenseman that a team like Chicago, you have his RFA rights. Kind of puzzling that they would just let him go. Why not keep him for a year or so? Maybe you can flip him for an asset. And if not, he's he's performing well enough that you'd think you'd want that on your team.
0: Yeah, again, I... I think it's just really odd where Chicago's going. So they're adding a Foligno, a Perry to definitely bring that veteran leadership. Well, probably not being overly competitive at the same point, but they also have a lot of really not great NHL players. Like, they're going to be bad. And I, I we, we were kind of talking a little bit about this offline. Who's Who's really in competition with them for the worst team on paper right now? to me the only team that's maybe close is the Philadelphia Flyers i think a lot of the other teams are going to look to make enough improvements or already have that are going to put them well in the clear so to me the only team that you're kind of quote unquote competing with is philadelphia for that kind of bottom best odds again and having Caleb Jones and flipping him you know mid season or at the deadline on a one year kind of cheaper contract to a contender or a team that's in a need of a defenseman doesn't seem like it's going to move the needle enough to kind of put them much higher than second worst at best.
1: Yeah, it's kind of one of those moves that if you're planning to be bad, keeping him isn't going to hurt that really. But he's good enough that if he has a decent season, you could flip him. And even if it's for I don't even a fifth round pick or something at the deadline you're a rebuilding team that's a pick that you can now use to either select someone or turn into another younger asset so it it just it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense what they're doing
0: yeah and I think I think the other like the get an asset they're also setting themselves up with some of these contracts the Nick Foligno the Corey Perry contract so those are players that contending teams might be willing to give up something for at the trade deadline if they're affordable. And even at $2 million, that's not really affordable for either of those players. So uh, retaining half the salary, their $4 million salary gets me to that $2 million. That's really not luxury that some teams are probably going to have this uh this trade deadline either
1: yeah so i, I mean i would really just say but between those moves the Felino, the Perries you, you get bailey who seems like he'd be a similar type of addition but you buy him out you're not going to keep caleb jones but you now have taylor hall to play with bedard it just seems like there isn't a consistent here's what we're doing moving forward this season but to kind of touch on buyouts, so Chicago bought out Bailey, but there were some other prominent ones. I, I think uh, one weird one is Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, Detroit just acquired him alongside Coston uh, from Edmonton, and Detroit's decided to buy him out of his contract. It was, I believe, one year, $3 million left.
0: $3 million, a little change. Because he's under 26 years old, they only are going to be on the hook for a third of that. So just about a million dollars they're on the hook for. But again, that's... So that's going to be still spread over two years. So they're hurting next year's cap. They chose, basically, if they were only going to keep one or the other, they chose, in my opinion, the slightly inferior player to try to keep in Kostin. And... Again, giving up Yamamoto for free also seems, I don't know, maybe not the best use of cap space of asset management. I, I just can't imagine that there wasn't a team out there that would have been willing to acquire him for almost free at a slightly reduced cap hit, and then you're only on the hook for his whatever you retain for just a year. So the fact that they couldn't flip him is an odd decision. I would If I'm looking for kind of a middle six forward, I would definitely consider acquiring Yamamoto. He's definitely, he could be the most interesting buyout long-term, but there's a couple kind of, if you're looking to make a playoff push now, Blake Wheeler, Matt Shane, big, big names, big money contracts that were just bought out. So quick little interlude here. We've We've updated our projections to include all these buyouts. But keep in mind these projections, so you might be looking at them like, wow, that's a real steal for that player. Well, part of the reason that you can that a team can sign this player for any of these bought-out players really for a lower cost is they're still getting paid a good chunk of their other contracts. So I tweeted out about Blake Wheeler, he was kind of the first one reported. His contract that we just projected him at is about two is two years about three million dollars per year. Well, he's also owed. 2.75 million from the Winnipeg Jets for the next two years. So even though he's he seems like a bargain, he's still going to be making a significant amount of money, 5.75 million, if our projections crack for the next two years. So he's still gonna be doing absolutely fine, and now he gets to choose his destination. The buyout market for him seems to be the, the kind of obvious choice because it's doing right by the player, letting him choose where he wants. And reports are that he might want to be uh, in the Eastern Conference. That's from Elliott Friedman touching base with his agent, Matt Cater. So if he wants to go to the Eastern Conference, I mean, there's, there's enough teams that are going to probably be pushing for a playoff spot. Anyone's kind of come to mind? Buffalo.
1: Jack Quinn, now injured, possibly out four months, but could be more like... Six and that would run us up to half of the season, pretty much. Seems like he would be a pretty good fit to fill into the middle six for Buffalo.
0: I'll throw Boston out there myself. Uh, that was the team that kind of originally, that he was kind of originally drafted, originally played with that organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be, he would be a kind of inexpensive middle six player with even some center flexibility that, That team's going to need kind of fit in on that second line for spots that they just cleared. Florida's a possibility reunite with his old coach in Paul Maurice. Pittsburgh would be an interesting fit as well. They're a win-now team, and if they could get still a pretty quality player for a lesser cap hit, that's something that they should take advantage of as well. The Rangers are another possibility here.
1: Yeah, the Rangers are kind of in need of a top six winger. So Patrick Kane is uh, a UFA, so is Vladimir Tarasenko, and they've had a couple high draft picks in uh, some recent years, and uh, Lafreniere and uh, Kako, and they're both kind of third-line players at this point. They haven't really shown that the offensive ability you need in a top six winger is there, and... They're going to really need someone. Wheeler could probably slide right in on that top line in New York for the Rangers.
0: It also fits kind of what the Rangers have been trying to do in the past couple of years, adding veteran guys to their lineup who are kind of competitive win-now type players. And this way they can do it without without giving up any sort of asset that they've had to do in the past couple of years.
1: Absolutely, and that's really what teams should be thinking kind of when they're targeting these guys that got bought out is there might be a little bit of value there where you might be able to get these players on a contract that ends up looking pretty nice for you.
0: So Duchesne, probably the exact same thing. I mean, a lot of the teams that we just mentioned, but if he's open to anywhere, I mean, Vegas, always a possibility. I don't know if they necessarily need him, but who doesn't, like, players just want to line up to go there. And again, he can probably take less money because he's still going to make a significant chunk of change from Nashville. Our projection for Matt Duchesne was around three years, $3.8 million per season. So a little bit more than what you have projected for Wheeler, mostly because Duchesne's just younger. Again, a lot of those teams... He could fit in very easily if he takes a little bit less, sure, maybe a Vegas, maybe he goes back to Colorado. He would be a great fit in their middle six there and ironically join Ryan Johansson. And then Mike Riley, we have him kind of a two-year deal, 1200000 million-ish. I don't think he's anyone at this point that's moving the needle. He wasn't good enough to crack Boston's lineup, which isn't necessarily easy, but at the same point, they went out and acquired defensemen to push him further down. So I don't know if there's going to necessarily be a robust market for him.
1: Yeah, I, I think Riley's kind of that. He could be a, a six, or maybe a five or six defenseman. Um, so your bottom pair, but could easily end up being a seventh guy for. Who knows what team? I think that's the type of role he's looking
0: at. So that kind of concludes the buyout portion. So let's get into just the level of like a quick free agency overview, maybe drop a couple nuggets out here. So the top of the forward class is going to be interesting. Uh, it seems like Bertuzzi's headed to the market for sure. Seems like term might be an issue there. We're projecting reasonably five, six years for him. I wouldn't be surprised if Boston wasn't willing to go that far, especially with injuries.
1: Yeah, I could also see the player um, kind of taking a look at the UFA market and saying, you know what, I'm going to try for seven years because there's not a whole lot above me performance-wise out there.
0: Yeah, so Boston's definitely going to have some decisions to make. They're probably going to be busy, but it seems like they're going to still have to... Shuffle some maybe pieces around, clear some cap space if they want to get in for necessarily one of the big names. They still didn't necessarily made a decision on their goaltending as well. So Boston's going to have some moves to make. So I'm hearing a little bit teams like Anaheim, teams like Detroit, have their eyes on some potentially bigger name forwards. It seems like one or both of them are going to spend or at least be willing to spend some money maybe give a little bit of an overpayment to one of the guys on the top of the list
1: so yeah we're, we are looking at some players like a Tyler Bertuzzi uh, Jason Zucker, Killorn, um, Michael Bunting those are the type of forwards that are kind of out there at the top of the market that teams like that could be interested in
0: yeah, it wouldn't be a shock for any of those guys to maybe, we, we projected most of them more the five to five and a half, but based on kind of the market, as well as the situation Detroit's kind of in, they might have to pay a little bit more for one of those guys. Similarly, I'm hearing similar things with Anaheim too, might be looking to make a splash. Well, they kind of have to spend some money, so it would make a lot of sense that they could be doing the same they certainly could use another clear top six kind of veteran forward as well to add with some of their budding young superstars.
1: Yeah, and uh, like you mentioned, I think it might be a little tough initially for teams in that type of situation. It might lead to them needing to pay a little extra than if the player was negotiating with a contender somewhere more desirable to definitely go to
0: a team that might actually be in the free agent forward market now. And we talked about them in their in our Atlantic preview saying, Oh yeah, there's that at forward. But suddenly there was some uh, big injury news that I don't know how much steam it kind of caught, but the Buffalo Sabres are going to be without Jack Quinn for, it seems like a month two, maybe even three at the start of the season due to an Achilles injury Now, Kelly's injuries aren't necessarily something to mess with. He was slotted to play easily in their top six, and depending on kind of how they constructed their lineup, could have been on arguably their top line with Tage Thompson. Buffalo suddenly might need to go into the free agent market. They have the cap space to do so, especially for someone if they want a one-year contract to play with a really good center. Buffalo could be an inch, a sneaky interesting team now in the in the market for either one of those top guys or maybe more likely one of those slightly more middle tier guys that would play a middle six role.
1: Yeah, so based off of how Buffalo is seeming to operate, I think the the different players that we have in the uh, I'll call it the three year range, but we, we could be looking all the way down to. Uh, A one-year deal, like you said, someone looking to reset or reestablish some value. One of the interesting things with Buffalo's roster uh, is Victor Olofsson kind of seems to be on his way out. It had actually come out a few weeks ago that he and his representation were kind of expecting a trade to happen this offseason. I think there will be some people that speculate of if that still happens. I tend to think it will just because it has gotten to that point already, and it would make the most sense that if Buffalo feels the need to add, it will be um, either through a, another trade or one of these free agent options. There's, there's some pretty good uh, middle six, and even guys that good in theory, play on the top line pretty good forwards here for them to choose from
0: i know you've always been on very much on the record you talked about it on sabers live on uh, thursday the 29th you like thomas tatar a lot
1: yeah i probably would overpay to get him on the team um he's one of the players that i think is somewhat underrated goes a little bit unnoticed and how just good of an all-around player he is um I think if Buffalo was able to get him on our projection, which is a three-year deal at about 3.3, 3.4, that would be a great player to, ha- to have not only to fill in for Jack Quinn when he's out, but when Jack Quinn comes back to be able to slot Tatar to maybe a line lower in the lineup on the third line. Um, that would be great, great. Uh, value i think for buffalo and like you kind of mentioned maybe they'd be able to get him interested in a shorter deal maybe a higher aab
0: yeah if i'm if i'm the buffalo sabers i'm very hesitant to give out three years but i have cap space to work with right now yes they still need to add it seems like a second pair defenseman Probably should be looking at maybe a goalie option as well. But neither of those are going to eat into all that cap space. So they should easily be able to give a higher AAV on a one-year contract to a Thomas Tatar. And playing on that in Buffalo's middle six is probably going to lead to some points, some box score numbers that's going to help him get paid for another contract. I think the one thing... I lean to, though, is hopefully Jack Quinn recovers from this Achilles injury and is back to the player that they're hoping he becomes. If that's the case and the timeline is as reported, two months is not devastating either. It's still a fairly short time frame in the season and Players miss that chunk of time all the time, and you just roll with who you have in your organization. You don't necessarily go out and acquire more guys. So with Buffalo having a deep, deep, deep prospect pool at forward, Matt Savoy, Yeri Kulik, and Lucas Rusek are probably the biggest names there, but also Isaac Rosen as well. Maybe they could kind of give some of those guys looks. Savoy and even his, well, former Winnipeg Ice teammate Zach Benson, who they just took in the draft, are going to have to go back to juniors or be on the NHL roster. So this could give the Sabres an opportunity to play around with those guys on kind of nine game tryouts and have a legitimate like middle six spot available to them in their lineup that otherwise might not have been available.
1: Yeah, I think that's... Really, the key here is even though Quinn is hurt and it's uh, a new thing to think about, wait, we might need a forward, all that depth that they have, they really might not need to make a move. I I think it might make them more likely to uh, look throughout the UFA market and see if the right fit is there, but I don't think that team should really feel too much pressure to make a move happen with uh, Quinn's injury I I think they will be able to buy their time and I I think like you said those different nine game trials that they could try and do um, it might actually work a little bit for where Buffalo currently is I guess in their rebuild they're they're right on the edge of the playoffs but they seem to like the idea of let's see what we have with our young players let's give them that
0: chance. I think from just a team building standpoint, whether it's the Sabres, whether it's anyone else, you're going to have an injury where players are going to miss chunks of time. And so, yes, it, it maybe changes things a little bit, the fact that this is known going into the season. It's, it's known before a lot of moves are happening. But let's just say you're, you have a player like a top six forward that breaks their leg in the middle of the season very few teams are going out and making a trade or anything the minute that happens to replace that forward for two months. What are they doing? They're going to their AHL team or juniors or whatever, really their AHL team, because once the junior season kind of gets rolling, they don't have, it's a little bit more of a difficulty to bring a player up from juniors. So really, Buffalo has more of an opportunity to keep some of those junior players on their roster. But Generally, from an asset management team building standpoint, you just plug with a guy in your organization and it, and it's not going to impact your off-season plans. You're not planning for that two-month injury, but you want to make sure you have enough organizational depth anyways to fill that need. So my opinion, the Sabres should proceed basically as planned. Maybe it gives a little bit more urgency, as you said, to add like a Tatar type player but it, as far as trading a Victor Olsen, if that was your goal, I think you still you still look to do that. Maybe you maybe you don't have the value market there anyway, so you were going to hold on to him, fine. But I don't think having a player out for two months kind of known now should change how you would approach it in any other situation.
1: Yeah, I, I think the, the best way to put it, if we're going to say long story short, There's no need to hit the panic button right now. Just go on as planned. You have that depth for a reason. You can use it. Buy your time. Quinn will be back. Everything will be all right. Don't overreact in free agency because of it.
0: So the last interesting kind of thing to look at right before free agency opens uh, tomorrow is the, uh, the players who didn't receive their qualifying offers. As we're recording this, we're still kind of waiting for a couple to come down. But what we do have is teams choosing not to give qualifying offers to a lot of players. And some might be a little bit surprising to kind of observers, fans of those teams. I think the one that didn't necessarily catch me off surprise, I've been talking about it for a while now. Daniel Sprong did not receive a qualifying offer from the Kraken. He had a 20-goal season season. And his qualifying offers really low, under a million dollars. The issue, I think, what Seattle was worried about was going to arbitration and basically being forced to potentially pay Sprawn a really, like, three, four million dollars even, based on his production. And there'd be no way they can walk away from that award if it were that high. So Seattle chose to... Basically, let him walk as an unrestricted free agent, and any teams now able to sign him. That doesn't necessarily mean that Seattle can't bring him back, but he might be moving on. And that's kind of the case with some of the other players that weren't necessarily qualified either. Teams were either afraid of an arbitration ruling that they would be locked into or potentially deciding hey, maybe we can get them back a little bit under what their qualifying offer would potentially be. Tyson Jost from Buffalo is probably in that category, a player that the team seems to still want to retain, but is hoping to do so under his qualifying offer, which is $2.2 million. They're probably looking to get him a little bit under two. We have him projected $1.8 million. So that would make a lot of sense for them. To me, one of the head scratchers is Morgan Geeky, whose qualifying offer was under $2 million. He didn't put up a ton of points this year that would really make his arbitration award really high, and Seattle chose not to qualify him.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of guys kind of in that similar situation, and I think you touched on it, um, I think teams are kind of fine in this tight cap world right now. To say to the player, you know what, go ahead and test the market uh, and kind of betting on the the ability to kind of revisit with that player and maybe get him back a little cheaper than the qualifying offer.
0: So running down just some of the names that did not receive qualifying offers that we think are of a level of note on uh, the cloud from New Jersey. Yessi Poyarvi from Carolina are guys that maybe could come in with around a $2 million contract. They're probably going to be a little bit lower at this point. Joey Anderson, Dolan, Lias Anderson from the LA Kings, Christian Fisher from Arizona. Cal Foote, I don't think production-wise is necessarily surprising. I think what stands out a little bit more from him is, is he was supposed to be a valuable asset to the Predators when he was acquired via trade, and they're potentially walking away with nothing to show for that. So that's that's not great asset management there. Um, Travis Derma and Ethan Bear from Vancouver. Bear we've talked about before on this podcast. Injury issue unfortunately is probably is basically going to leave him on the open market. I wouldn't be surprised if he stays there until he's healthy, which could be a nice kind of mid-season acquisition for a team uh, looking for a little bit of help on their blue line on the right side. Uh, Dennis Garionov uh, from Montreal, he was acquired uh, from Dallas. He's an, He might be a player that some smart team rolls the dice on a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the, the big thing with him, I believe he was first with Dallas. He's got a shot can score goals and that's something every team is looking for. He is an interesting name that I wonder if he will be able to generate a little bit of interest being on the open market. So that might be a player that the team can't really revisit with, maybe he's someone Actually benefits from being let go.
0: I think the same might be said for Sam Steele with Minnesota. There might be some interest on the open market, but I don't see a way that Minnesota is necessarily going to be able to bring him back. But those are kind of right now, as it stands, the the big ones to not receive qualifying offers are projection. Google Sheet that's pinned at AFP Analytics on Twitter can also be found at um, on our website AFPAnalytics.com. We'll continue to update kind of as those statuses change, but as we start to look forward to free agency opening July first noon, I think it's important to kind of gauge where we're at with our projections. Um, But basically, we've been pretty dead on so far
1: yeah so when we look at uh the uh, overall sheet here so all three agents the guys that have signed so far our mean absolute error our MAE, uh, we're looking at 380,551 and uh that's pretty good it's not as great as we'd like it to be um part of what's going into that though is a couple really big outliers with the Felino and Perry deals in Chicago.
0: Yeah, I we, we don't it's not fair to cherry pick to make ourselves look better. So we have right now probably three major outliers that are really causing our our mean absolute error to be as far off as it currently is. Fellino and Perry and then Cole Caulfield, we only did a two-year pro, uh, contract projection for a variety of reasons. That's our mistake. We, we have to own that one. We should have had a long-term option in there as well. But when we take the Felino and Perry out, who the Chicago Blackhawks frankly overpaid, I don't think anyone listening to this is going to disagree with that at all. Our mean absolute error is sitting just under three hundred thousand dollars, and I'm talking like two hundred ninety-nine thousand and some change, so right around three hundred thousand dollars. So, if you're listening and kind of using our contract projections to gauge how teams are performing as free agency opens, you should feel pretty comfortable knowing that the players that you you might be looking at for your favorite team. They're probably going to come in at our projection plus or minus 300,000. There's always the possibility from the time we finish recording this, we're sitting here legitimately at 6 p.m. basically Eastern time, Friday, June 30th. We're still waiting on the Boston Bruins qualifying offers. I wouldn't expect them to not extend something to Jeremy Swayman, but there is a possibility if they're afraid of the arbitration award um because the minute they extend that qualifying offer he would be eligible for an offer sheet unless they file for arbitration and we talked about this in the goalie market episode his arbitration awards probably coming in four to five million dollars So maybe there's a chance that Boston has to make a tough decision, or maybe there's something in the works as we're finishing up this recording regarding Swayman and getting him kind of either compensated or moved for a valuable asset. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy as free agency opens, and we'll be back next time with a recap, kind of discussing how well our projections did and our general thoughts on free agency.